Good morning and welcome to another edition of the Battling Pickle Podcast. Today's podcast, I reveal just how big of a computer geek I am and also use that to talk about a couple of uh, very serious topics that are being discussed in our classes this week in abnormal psychology, uh, depression and suicide, and in educational psychology, talking about how to present materials so that learners are engaged in it and also motivated to do well in it. So let's go ahead and jump right in. So to reveal to you the extent to a computer geek I am, today as I record this, uh, June 6th, is the start of Apple's annual Worldwide Developer Conference, or WWDC. And WWDC might not seem all that important to you if you are not a computer geek, but it is actually something that you probably interact with on a regular basis if you use any Apple product, because WWDC is the spot every year where Apple announces all the major changes coming to iPhone, iPad OS, uh, Mac OS, uh, Apple TV, basically any software change. So if you've ever looked at your phone and it's got a new feature on it, or you looked at your tablet and went, oh, that, that does that now. Or, you know, you get an update sometime in September or October that changes everything. All of that is announced uh, at WWDC every year. And so for people like myself that are computer uh, programmers and former computer nerds and recovering computer hacks, whatever, we tend to watch uh, Google I.O., which is one that Google puts on about a month earlier, and Apple's WWDC, just to see what they are going to be offering or what they're going to be uh, bringing out in the next year. And the reason why this is something I think that we want to discuss in the context of our classes is pretty simple, and that's the way that technology interacts with everything related to our lives these days is very rare. Uh, in fact, uh, I can find the statistic, but it's always shockingly low, the percent of Americans uh, that don't have a cell phone. Um, and if you think about it, that percentage, um, so 97% of Americans right now own a cell phone of some kind, 85% of them own a smartphone. This is from Pew Research. Uh, it was published about a year ago, a little over a year ago. So people have technology in their pockets, and one of the problems with technology in your pocket, obviously, is that you can decide how to use it. Some people use it in very productive manners, and some people do not. So when we look, and I'll, I'll start this off kind of focusing on the abnormal psychology aspect, when we look at how individuals use technology, it's not really that surprising that sometimes technology use is the thing that gets people into trouble. They uh, begin to use it and focus on it in ways that uh, we would not want them to focus on it. Or it's ironically also the thing that can get them help or get them uh, saved in a sense. So what do you do at that point as a therapist? Uh, are you dealing with someone who is using their technology in order to help them? 
Is it someone that is using their technology in a way that is going to hurt them? This is why it's very hard for us to ever have an across-the-board guideline. You know, screen time is one of these things that parents often ask me when they find out that I'm a psychologist. They go, well, you know, what, what do I set as the guideline for screen time for my child? You know, should they be on the iPad X amount of hours a day, Y amount of hours a day? I think this is too much. I think this is too uh, crazy. You don't, you don't usually hear parents going, I think it's too little. Um, even though, ironically, those parents are also glued to their phones quite a bit. So maybe there's a do as I say, not as I do thing going on there. But people always are searching for these guidelines. They want to know how, you know, what's the right number. And unfortunately, there is no right number. I can't tell you that your child should be spending three and a half hours per month uh, on Instagram. Uh, and then two hours on Wikipedia is fine. And seven hours on, you know, some other website. I mean, these numbers don't exist because there's no way that you can quantify those types of things. And that's why when you're reading the chapter on depression and you're reading the chapter on suicide, and that is a pretty heavy chapter. So if you're in abnormal psychology and uh, if you find that anything you're reading this week is hitting a little bit too close to home or you really need to talk to, to someone about it, reach out to me. I can give you some information. I can also point you to some resources. Uh, and if it's just academic information, I'm happy to talk about that. I'm not a licensed therapist. I'm not a counselor, but I can point you in the right direction. And if you just have simple questions about how to help people, those sorts of things, I'm happy to, to talk about that. So that is why I think a lot of us run into trouble with what we recommend for people to do with technology because we can't simply say it's horrible don't use it and we also can't simply say oh yeah use it all the time uh, to connect with friends because if i tell someone who's depressed to use their phone and they use the little bit of energy they have and you gotta remember depression is not a mood so much as it is an energy issue. The fact that people are not able to get the energy they need to do the things they want to do. Now that generally leads to uh, problems with mood because if you can't do the things you want to do, you tend to be a little bit sad about that. But you gotta remember, if I tell a client, hey, uh, spend five minutes a day on Instagram and you know, I think that'll help them see the world outside their door, it'll help them be motivated to maybe go do something, and yet the entire time they're there, all they're focusing on is, gee, everyone else has such a better life than I have. <laughs> you know, everyone else is doing all these things. I don't feel good. I hurt and I'm upset and all that. Gee, if I if I tell them to do that, uh, that, that's worse, you know. So all of this to say that technology, and we get into this habit, I think, as practitioners and educators, where we like to say, oh, the technology is so hurtful. It's causing all these issues. It's doing all these things. It might be, but it also might not be. And we need to be very careful on the assumptions that we make. What is more useful, 
honestly is asking a client or a student, what are you doing on your phone? Not put your phone away, but what are you doing? And being honest and sincere about that question, uh, making no assumptions. You know, I've had, uh, thankfully this has not happened to me because it's mortifying, but I've had friends that have made a knee-jerk reaction to their students using something in class. You know, you've got your phone out, you're not paying attention, and then they find out that the student is distracted and they were recording the lecture today because they need to listen to it later because they just found out that their mother's in the hospital or they just found out that something else has happened. Uh, I don't want to yell at a student for doing something that they are doing in the interest of their grade. It's hard. So always come from a perspective of seeking to understand, not seeking to change behavior until you understand the behavior that you're trying to change. Now, pivoting over to educational psychology, we just talked about depression, suicide, those sorts of things, and technology. You know, technology has totally changed the teaching experience over the last, well, forever. I mean, technology is technology, so you don't think about it, but blackboards were technology 100 years ago, uh, just the same way that overhead projectors were technology 50 years ago, and today, uh, smart classroom is technology. When you think about the topics that are being discussed in our text this week, the direct instruction lesson and the constructivist approach, boy, direct instruction certainly is tempting. And with technology, it makes it even better. You know, I can throw the information up there. The students can pull it in and sort of like a one-to-one exchange. I'm putting it out there. You're pulling it in. You're pulling it in through either visual, audio, tactile, all of the above gives you the best fighting chance. And yet you look out into your group of students and they're asleep because even though you have put together a great lecture and you put together uh, examples and you put together some interactive stuff, so you got a video and you've got a, a little activity, it just doesn't click. And then in desperation, you do something that keys into constructivist approaches. So perhaps you break your students up into groups and you give them just one question. You had 10 questions you want to talk about in the direct instruction lesson. You give them one question and you do a think-pair-share and you have them think about it, pair up, talk about it with each other, and then it shocks you how much more they care about the information and how much more they have of the information. And the students are much more motivated. Now, I guarantee you, as an instructor, there have been times I have given students an assignment and I've watched them at the front of the classroom and I've purposely not hovered. I don't want to go over and change the process. I want them to do the, what they're doing. And if they have questions, they can call me over and I'm happy to go talk to them. But I want them to be doing the creation aspect. And there are times I do that and it shocks me how much more effective that is. And yet I feel like I'm not doing my job. I'm not talking at them. I'm not hovering. I'm not asking questions in the group. I'm letting them talk to each other. And yet so much more teaching is actually going on there. And with technology, we get into this mindset of, okay, I'll throw that video up there and boy, this is going to be great. They're going to love it. And yet perhaps having them talk to each other would have been much more useful or having them work on a problem individually or reason something out or do some research on their own of a topic they're interested in. 
But yet those are the moments when we step back that we feel vulnerable of, gee, I'm not doing my job. And if you're curious, uh, one of the reasons why I communicate with you guys through short podcasts and I don't post video lectures, you know, I could do um, a 75-minute video lecture every probably day if I really wanted to. Uh, I could take the slides from the textbook and we could talk about them. We could go through, you know, this week there's four chapters in both classes. I could give you a 50 to 75 minute lecture on all of that. Now, I know a couple of things are going to happen if I do that. One, some people will watch it, some people won't. That's just the nature of the game. And of those people that watch it, some will find it useful, some will not. I will invest a lot of time. I will feel like I'm doing a lot of work. Uh, you might not agree. <laughs> you might say that that wasn't really that useful. And yet, if I record a podcast like this where I tie a bunch of connections together, at least try to, we try to connect technology into depression, into suicide, into uh, direct instruction lessons, into motivation, which we'll cover in a few moments, I get you at least, hopefully, at least the goal is to get you thinking about all these things not in isolation. You know, one of the questions on the first exam in educational psychology, one of the essay questions, focuses on why do we not see these connections? We talk about them. Why do we not appreciate them? Why don't students see them in their daily life and in their teaching? And I think it's because they're so used to them in isolation. You know, okay, we're in chapter three, and I'm going to see slides on chapter three, and Unfortunately, chapter three is meaningless if you don't see the five connections to chapters one, two, seven, nine, and 12. I mean, that's what we're trying to get you to do. So when you listen to a short form, you know, right now I've been recording the main body of this podcast a little over 13 minutes, you're able to take some of those connections and think about them a little deeper. And that's ultimately why I do the podcasts. And I do them in audio because it's a little easier for some people. Some people like to speed them up. And if they like to speed them up, then this is going to sound really bad because I'm going really fast right now. Uh, Maybe that'll get you to slow down a little bit. And people can consume them in different ways. You can listen to them on your phone. You can listen to them on the computer, all of those things. So to wrap up, because I've been talking a lot and I decided to talk about motivation. The book talks about, and educational psychology talks about motivating students and really getting at what motivates them because not the same thing motivates everyone. I will share a quick story. Uh, When I started teaching psychology years ago, I had already been teaching computer science for a while. So when I came in, I was in a teaching practicum in psychology and I was sitting around with a bunch of other grad students and they were talking about, gee, my students are just not that motivated. They, they don't want to get an A. They don't want to get the top score. And I don't understand why they don't want to do those things. And I remember raising my hand saying, your students might not want an A. They, they might want a C. They might think if they put in more effort than to get a C, they wasted their time. Different people have different priorities. And the fact of the matter is you are a graduate student in psychology. You're in a doctoral program you're motivated to get an A. You want to have that high level of personal achievement. Some people just want the grade they need to get the degree to go out and get the job they want or to provide the life for their family they want or a ton of other things. It's figuring out what motivates people. It's not assuming that the same thing that motivates you is going to motivate them. And so you might want to think about that as you're reading that chapter is what are the what are the motivations that I have? Write them down perhaps. And then Think about the things that have never motivated you, but motivate other people. And uh, 
for if you're you know wanting to tie this into technology, go look at Instagram and look at the influencers on Instagram that you don't care about. Uh, maybe there's Insta- Instagram influencers and YouTube influencers and TikTok stars and all of them that you do care about. But think about the ones you don't care about. Why don't you care? And yet these people have rabid fan bases. They're motivated by different things than you are. And perhaps that is the message to take away. Uh, if you do watch anything on Apple's Worldwide Developer Conference today, you can go to websites like Mac Rumors and a few others and uh, listen to uh, the wrap-ups. If you really want to hear more on my thoughts on it, I co-host a podcast with my friend Todd Ogasawara uh, every week uh, called Mobile Views Podcast. Uh, I'm sure next weekend we're going to be talking about WWDC. Yesterday we recorded an episode where I talked about my wish list for WWDC. So as you're looking at the tech news coverage, think about how can I use this and how can I use it with people who are depressed? How can I use it with people who are suicidal to connect them versus disconnect them? How can I use it in direct instruction to add in some of those nice little features? How can I use it in constructivism approaches to get students to generate their own understanding and framework? And how can I figure out what motivates people? Because if you can do that, you can do anything. This has been another episode of the Battling Pickle Podcast. We are now uh, deep into Season 2. This is Season 2, I think, Episode 5, maybe? Uh, It's total Episode 19 of all the Battling Pickle Podcasts. As I've mentioned to some students uh, in EdPsych, if you're thinking about your major project, reviewing Battling Pickles 4 and 8 from last summer should be very helpful. Those are the ones where I talk about the major project. I also talk about my reactions to grading the major project. So some of the things that I found that I thought, gee, people really should pay attention to this or pay attention to that. If you would like to interact with the podcast, remember this is for everyone, not just students in my classes. You can go to bat, you can go to anchor.fm slash battling pickle. Uh, you can also go to johnwestfall.com and click on the link that says battling pickle podcasts. I'll take you to the same place and you'll be able to not only see past episodes, but you can also interact with me. You can leave a message and I will be happy to uh, answer that message in the podcast or elsewhere. Have a great day.